Man, one of my favorite things sometimes, stay, stay standing for a minute because I got, I got a little illustration for you that I wasn't planning on sharing. But one of my favorite things about child dedication is when we have positive words shared over these kids. And obviously they'll have a choice to play in the manner, right? But I wonder how different all of our lives would be if we had some people speak some positive words over our lives and then actually believe them to be true. So my six-year-old girl, Scarlett, this week learned how to ride a bicycle without training wheels. Right? Yeah, it was a big deal because Henry did it at age four. And so there's a lot of trash talk in my household because of this. But we were, she did it though, however, on the first try. I didn't have to lose my temper once. I was so proud of myself. So proud of myself. Because she was able to do it right away, which was so bizarre and, and strange for me. But I, I don't know, come on, parents. You know, like when you're in this moment, I don't know if you remember having your kid ride the bike for the first time. But we had this stupid handle on this little girly bike that she has. And so I was like, I, I held her up and she balanced. And I said, okay, I'm going to run along with you and then I'm going to let go. And she looked at me and she goes, just don't let go ever. And so I was like, okay, fine. I won't let go. So we start going, right? This little monster starts riding her bike immediately. And I never held on, but I was running with her, right? The whole time she thought I was holding on. And then after about 20 feet, I was like, okay, I'm going to let go. And she goes, no, don't let go. My friends, the whole time I wasn't even holding on. And we laugh at that as parents, but the reality is how many times, how many times do we continually not believe the positive and good things that God has been saying over our lives, recognizing that he has never been letting go of you. So it's kind of like a terrible illustration, but it's a good illustration to help you recognize the reality that God has been declaring good things over your life, but many of us refuse to believe it because we know the things that we think consider ourselves Flaws, disappointments, disqualifications. One of the things we teach here at Hill City is the fact that you cannot disappoint a God who knows everything. Therefore, God has never crossed his arms once with you. And I don't know what kind of lived experiences you walk in here that creates this illusion that you're broken, but you're not broken. You are always been whole and you will always be whole because a God created you. A master painter created masterpieces and that's who you are. If you can't tell, I feel like preaching. All right, find your seat. It's been six weeks since I've preached last. We've had some incredible guests in this house, haven't we? Okay, we had... Uh, Come on, I'm, I'm a hollaback preacher, which means the more verbal you get with me, the quicker I'm going to preach. Come on. Yeah, you guys want a short sermon on this Father's Day, don't you? Some of you got some meat that's been smoking for 18 hours that you got to tend to. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not going to preach long. I, I, I'm actually going to cut it in half. Because we've been in this series called Run It Back, looking at John chapter 2. If you're new with us, what we've been doing the last three weeks or two weeks is we've been preaching the exact same passage of Scripture, and today and next week we're going to preach the exact same Scripture again. So it's real simple. And so I'm going to pick up in John chapter 1, actually, instead of John chapter 2, just the last verse in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 51, and it says this, okay? Jesus was, uh, he just called his first disciples to him in John chapter 1, and he says this, he said, 
He then added, very truly, I tell you, speaking to his disciples, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Ascending and descending. You see, we read that as 21st century Americans, and we have no idea what was happening in the first century. But the reality is, is what Jesus was about to do in John chapter 2 as his first miracle, where he turned water to wine. And if you, you, you talk about water to wine, you know, Derek talked about it last week. Julie talked about it the first week. You can really tell when you're around religious people when they're offended by Jesus' first miracle. I've been around people. I actually grew up in a Baptist church that, t- that told me that, that the wine wasn't like the wine we have today. You ever been around those people? Yeah, let me tell you that, that that's not true. This wine was the best wine, so you better believe that this wine, whoo, I'm going to behave. This ascending and descending language is actually language that is a metaphoric phrase to talk about the difference and the change from old covenant to new covenant reality, which if you've been a part of this church for like six years, you know this is everything that we teach at this church. We have this book called Transition that Pastor Shannon and I wrote. It'll take you 20 minutes to read. If you've never heard of covenants, it's imperative that you understand covenants to be able to understand the scriptures because this was language about something that was about to happen and about to change with how people related to God, and it was so important and so beautiful. In fact, John chapter 2 of Jesus turning water to wine, it's a metaphoric picture of the new and old covenant. The purpose of the wine was so that people would see God clearly, seeing God like Jesus. And if you have a view of God that does not look like Jesus, your view of God is an idol. That might be hard for some of you to swallow because that means you have to wrestle with some scriptures who don't paint God like Jesus. And I give you permission to do that. Anyways, next week, Pastor Shannon's going to unpack that in such a great revelation. And I'm a little bit jealous that he gets to preach that and I don't. So bear with me this morning. Right, John chapter 2, we've been reading this the last couple weeks. It says this, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Man, dear, is so funny when he preaches about Jesus and his mother. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. This interaction is really funny. And then verse 6, or no, verse 5, his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. I wonder how different our lives would be if we just did whatever God told us to do. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars. That's a tongue twister. Stay it with me. Six stone water jars. That's where I'm going to stay today, but I'm going to finish the scripture just so that I can say that I read the whole scripture. So some of you that really care about scripture being read in church. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7, Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Man, if you missed last week's sermon, you got to go on YouTube and watch it. Dear, unpack such an incredible challenge and encouragement for us about filling things to the brim. He then told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the wine that had been turned or tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. They all knew. Everybody knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You ever have a wedding? You ever like been in charge of a wedding? Some of you didn't have an open bar. If you had an open bar, you can relate. And after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. That's what Julia focused on two weeks ago, talking about now. 
sometimes you get around Christians and we like to talk about the best is yet to come, which although I believe that is true, but what, what would our lives look like if we recognize the best is right now? Even if you're in a valley season. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And I love this. I, I think I'm going to come back to this, this this fall. And his disciples believed in him. You know how many times the scripture tell us that the disciples believed in him? I don't know about you, but that might be the most encouraging verse I've read this year. Because guess what? Life happens, and then they need to be reminded. And guess what the scripture tells us? And then after Jesus reminds them of who he is, and then they believed again. Man, some of you that don't want to be honest about your doubts, okay, we'll just leave it at that. Verse 6, throw back up there again with me, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you two thoughts, and then we're going to get off the stage here and have a great Father's Day, right? Come on, talk back to me, y'all. Yeah, come on, somebody. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. I did my math, by the way. 20 to 30 gallons is about 908 bottles of wine. It's a party. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you for laughing. Now, some of y'all have a problem, and you need to stop budging your spouse and saying, see, I can have a party with 900 bottles of wine. No, you can't. And you've proven that you've abused this. <laughs> Making light of a real situation? I'm sorry. Anyways, okay. Now, I'm a Bible nerd. I don't know how many other Bible nerds there are, but I'm a Bible nerd. I get, I get pretty psyched up about six stone jars because if you don't know, according to Leviticus chapter 11, which I know none of y'all read, which is okay. I'll interpret it for you. Leviticus chapter 11 tells Jews that in order to do this ceremonial washing that they're required to do, it should be in clay jars. And the reason for why it should be in clay jars was because after you used the clay jars to wash, you were supposed to destroy the jar because, of course, only one jar could handle your sins. Religion will jack up some people. However, this scripture tells us that they were stone jars, which reveals something very significant in Jewish culture, which means that this party took place in the house of the priest. Because only the priests had stone jars. It's kind of cool. It's actually really fascinating. And why do I tell you that? Is because next week, cliffhanger, when Pastor Shanick reveals what he's going to reveal next week, this will make sense. Why Jesus turned water to wine, his first miracle, and he did it at the priest's house. Talking about old and new covenants. Another significant thing about these stone jars is that Jews had this ritual, again, that separated people into clean and unclean categories, which means the ceremonial washing that took place at almost every Jewish wedding had little to do with physical cleansing, but had more to do with spiritual cleansing, which means they would judge some people if they didn't clean properly. You ever been around the church? People who talk about some things that you do and... Uh, yeah, we love, we love the sinners, but we hate the sin. That, that BS, you ever heard that? What that really means is uh, we love you, but your behavior or your lifestyle gives me permission to not actually love you, but I'll use it and cover it with this really fun phrase. As if Jesus ever did that. 
You know how many people would be protesting Jesus if he was alive today? Because he'd be hanging out with the people that you have disqualified. Man, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how, how frustrated it is to get around church people who refuse to see people as, as uh, clean and as pure. According to Acts chapter 10, verse 28, we told you at the beginning of the year to memorize that verse. And that verse says, uh, according to, to God speaking to Peter, he said, call no one impure or unclean. I wonder how different the church of America would be if the Christians that call the, their, 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 the church their home would stop calling people impure or unclean. Even if you think you had a reason to call people impure and unclean. Mm. See, Jesus had this way of revealing this reality that oftentimes the things that we think are good in the eyes of the Father actually cause division and is not the Father's heart in how you are supposed to view and love people. Thank God that we serve a God who loves us unconditionally. I'm not good at it. I strive to be. But I put conditions on my love. It just is what it is. I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm not trying to, to act like I can be God, although the challenge is, is I should be like God in this area. I should be unconditional in my love. Man, it's a struggle. Some people put some conditions on it to make it real easy to put conditions on my love. Stone jars. The last revelation it comes from these six stone jars. I don't know if, again, I'm a Bible nerd, but six, numbers in Scripture have spiritual meanings. Six is the spiritual number for man. So using six water jugs is really just a symbolic picture of humanity. What happens when humanity gets around the true Jesus? He turns your water into wine. And the things that you unqualify yourself, Jesus looks at you and says, why do you keep unqualifying yourself when I have qualified you before you were even born? Why do you keep comparing yourself to people when I have already defined you for you? See that? O-C-D. Some of you feel overlooked, and I just want to empower you, especially some of you dads. You feel overlooked, or you compare yourself with other fathers in the room or maybe online or you define yourself based on mistakes that you've made in your past, and what happens is we form this spiritual OCD. We feel overlooked. We constantly compare, or we define ourselves opposing how God defines us, and what happens is we live with spiritual OCD that compromises everything that God has already declared over you. And guess who did it? You. You. So let me give you two thoughts, and then we'll close. Good with that? Are we, am I, are we good? You, you following along? We good? Okay. First thought. Did you ever notice that the water pots didn't do anything? Well, duh, they're water parts. Parts, pots. They're water pots. They simply received the miracle. But if the six stone water jars symbolize humanity, why do we put conditions on people receiving God's love? Why do you put conditions on receiving God's love, even if you've been in church 20, 30 years? Honestly, some of the hardest people to really recognize God's love are the Christians that have been in church 20, 30 years. Because you have defined God's love for you instead of receiving God's love like these stone jars. I wonder how different your life would be like if you started living like a stone jar. Oh, all right, you guys, some of you are helping me. I like that. 
Uh, Paul White, he was here uh, a year ago, and he, he talked about the wine process. It takes four years from seed to drink. Four years. The best wine takes four years to ferment, and yet Jesus, in one moment, provided the best wine. You do not need to take years and years and years, especially church years, to make an impact for Jesus. All of him is already in you now, and you can make an impact now. All you have to do is pour. Stop disqualifying yourself. Dads, stop disqualifying yourself. Some of you dads in this room are some of the most amazing and incredible human beings I've ever been able to do life with. And it makes me sad and frustrated, not by your flaws and failures, but by your refusal to believe who you truly are. Man, uh, yeah, okay. I'm all, I'm all. David in Psalm 23 said, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But again, you get around church folk. And again, I'm, I'm ripping on church folk, but, but I'm a church folk, so I'm ripping myself. Okay, these are my people, y'all my people. Get around church folk, they'll tell you that you lack certain things, but Psalm 23 says you lack nothing. So who are you going to believe? See, Derek talked about how important it is to work in the kingdom of God, but recognize, and he said this last week, I'm just going to reiterate it, your work isn't to gain something from the Father. It's not to gain recognition. It's not to gain approval. It's not to gain love. Those things are already declared over you regardless of your beliefs or your decisions. And that's good news. But we work from a place. When you know who you are, working is not sweating and tearing over your decisions or your, your, your businesses. Working comes from a place of freedom when you recognize who you are, that you don't have to earn a spot in the kingdom of God. You already have a spot in the kingdom of God and has already been qualified for you because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. I wonder how differently some of you would lead your companies if you recognize that you don't have to try out for the position anymore. I wonder how, how differently some of you would lead your home when you recognize that you are a good dad, even if you don't think you're a good dad. Because the kingdom of God is simply about receiving, receiving what God has already declared over you. The gospel's not an invitation. The gospel's a declaration. The water pots didn't do anything. They simply received the miracle. And here's my second thing, and I'll close. Tim, come out here and make me sound beautiful. This is I, I, all that to get to right here. Okay, this, this is fascinating. This is, this is where I've been sitting for, like, months. Why did Jesus use the water stones in this miracle when there were already wine vessels in the room? You ever thought about this? See, when I read Scripture, I think about this. And it wasn't so that he could create 900 bottles, all right, people? I think there's something greater, greater significance as to why Jesus would do a miracle with something in the room that not only was already in the room, but overlooked. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Why did Jesus neglect the wine vessels for its purpose and do something supernatural in something that had already defined itself. Maybe because Jesus was prophetically speaking over his humanity. Maybe because some of you have been 
trying to figure out this next step in your life, and you've been neglecting the very things that are already in your hands. My friends, the water vessels were always in the room. You're looking at, are you not picking up what I'm putting down? The miracle that you are praying for is already in your possession. You just have been overlooking it. The substance that held this incredible miracle of Jesus turning water to wine was always in the room. It was just overlooked or it was just defined. No, those are stone jars. Therefore, ceremonial washing. Not for holding the substance that's going to create the biggest banging party for weeks. No, 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 no. We can't compare the stone jars with the wine vessels because we know what those stone jars are significant for. And what happens is, is we walk around in our lives feeling insignificant, feeling overlooked, which are real thoughts and real feelings that many of us maybe just have to embrace, but embrace them to understand that they are actually a lie and that you are significant and that you aren't overlooked by the Father. Maybe you just haven't recognized the purpose for your life. Or maybe you've been praying for somebody else's miracle without recognizing the miracle has always been in your possession. You've just overlooked it. Darren, you're an incredible dad. You got three incredible daughters. I look up to you a lot as a dad. I want to be a dad to my kids like you're a dad to your kids. I want to be a husband to my wife like you're a husband to Sue. You're an incredible dad, Darren. Don't ever doubt that. Greg, you're, you're an incredible dad too. Man, girl dad, heck yeah. And I've missed going to lunch with you. We got to figure that out. You too, Josh. There's a couple guys in this room that I look up to the most. And Josh, you're one of them. And Sean, you're one of them. And it's because you two are the most patient fathers on the planet, and uh, I've used this excuse that I'm not patient, but patience is a fruit of the Spirit, which means uh, there's nine fruit of the Spirit, and it's singular, not plural. It's one fruit, nine flavors, which means you already possess it, so you don't have to strive to get more patience. It's already in you. You just got to become more aware of it, and you two are two dads that I'm like, my goodness, if I could be a little bit more patient with my kids, then maybe my kids will want to be a little bit more around me as they get older. Melvin, the legacy that you have laid, I'm standing on your shoulders, and I know, big feller, that I make fun of you a lot, and we have a good time, but I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness, for your sacrifice, for your generosity. I'm thankful for your marriage. I'm thankful for the grandfather that you are, the father that you are. I love all your kids, your grandkids. But you're an incredible human being. And I hope you know that this stage of your life, God's not done with you. And there's more in you. And I know you're in the enjoyment season of life, but there's more in you. Mike, there's more in you too. Mike, there are some things happen, going to happen. Very, I am speaking prophetically, and I don't do this often, but Mike, I believe that there, you're on the cusp of, some, of a new thing. And I'm not talking about necessarily business. I'm just talking about Maybe there's a new season of life 
that's going to require a challenge that you've been waiting for, and I believe you're on the cusp of it. Mike, I, I love you too as a man. You are a patient man too. I'm going to put you in the same category as Sean and Josh. As you can tell, I, I'm not going to say that I'm not a patient father because I'm working on it. There's a lot of dads in this room that, man, you came in here and you were expecting a different type of sermon, but I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the type of people that, that fall into this toxic masculinity that's in our 21st century culture that just beats up dads or tells you to man up. I'm a type of guy that wants the men to stop manning up and start embracing the feelings that you've ignored so that maybe, maybe your household could get emotionally healthy. We don't like these... These messages, because we don't feel, right? That's not true. I feel a lot. So I just wanted to encourage you. As Derek talked about last week, there's projects in this room that you should be creating because God's a creator and he lives inside you. But I want to encourage you that you're not waiting for God to show up in a different way. You just need to open your eyes and start focusing on the substances that are already within your possession because God wants to do a miracle in the things that he's already provided for you. It's time for us to start living like stone jars to remove religious behaviors from our lifestyle and start pouring the new wine that was poured 2,000 years ago and it's not new for you. You just might have for the first time become aware of the reality that it is new. And it's, it's not a wine that you have to qualify for. It's a wine that has already qualified you. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. What you're overlooking or defining or comparing is exactly what's been robbing you from doing the very thing that God has already called and empowered you to do. When you tend to focus on what we don't have and who we aren't are yet, we qualify ourselves as insignificant when the Father has only been declaring significance over you from day one. Religion will tell you who you are and what to do. Jesus reveals to you who you have always been. So happy Father's Day. And moms, and for those of you that aren't dads, happy Sunday. Wake up to the miracles that God's been doing in your life all along. And maybe, maybe stop OCDing around your religious behaviors and wake up to the fact that God has already called you good, has always called you good, and will always call you good because that's who you are. You are his beloved, and you cannot disqualify his love. Father, I thank you. I thank you for all the dads in this room. I, I thank you for anybody, dad, mom, whoever, who is declaring lies over their lives, because they think it sounds right and they think it's the Christian thing to do. We rebuke that in Jesus' name. May they wake up to who you have called them to be, their beloveds, sons and daughters, who haven't earned that right but have been given that right because of your son, Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, seriously, next week, it's going to be amazing. You're going to want to be here. You're loved and there's nothing you can do about it. So go and connect people to life this week. Happy Father's Day. We love you all. We'll see you next week.